Good morning. As we are continuing in the book of Hebrews this morning, uh, our reading comes from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 to 18. And we're reading uh, from the New International Version. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of our salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all in their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Welcome to the last service of 2021. My name is Tim. If you haven't met me before, I've, I'm serving here, serving here as a, uh, a student pastor now, um, which starts off next year. But yeah, I'm, I'm super pleased to be bringing you uh, the message this morning. This morning, I wanted to start us off by doing something which Baptists find a little strange. I want us to raise our hand. That means you. All right. I want us now to start doing this. And say with me, goodbye 2021. Goodbye 2021. Awesome. Thank you. You can put your hands down now. Can you believe it? Yeah, another year is gone. I just find that quite crazy. For for some of us, the year couldn't have gone fast enough, especially with uh, our lockdown. But during this year, we all shared something in common. We all shared uh, the pandemic, which continues to go on. We all shared what it was like to, to feel some of the stress and anxieties for the future. We all shared these, these same experiences, each one of us in this room today. And in this passage this morning, we see Jesus, who also shares in our humanity. He too would probably wave at people, 
He too shared in our experiences of what it means to be a human. He shared in death like us. He shares uh, in what it means to be a human. And in doing so, he grants us full victory over death. The title of today's sermon is Jesus' Shared Humanity Grants Us Full Victory Over Death. It's right there behind me, which is good. I'll try to use the clicker, but we'll see how we go. The points that we're going to look at today are Jesus' is, uh, Jesus's salvation is perfected through suffering. Jesus' glorious and holy family. Jesus shared in uh, humanity and simply that it had to be this way. Jesus had to be made like us. The, the message this morning brings to close kind of this foundational argument that the, the, the writer of the Hebrews is making. Uh, and simply, in a nutshell, is it had to be this way. Jesus had to become human. But before we get into the message, I thought it would be appropriate that we should pray. So bow your heads with me. O oh Lord, you are superior to angels. You have created everything by your powerful word. Today, would we pay careful attention to your good news? By the Holy Spirit, we ask that you would reveal a bit of the wonder and mystery of your Son. It is by him we have eternal life, and it is in his name we meet together today. Help us, O oh Lord, we ask. Reveal your truth. As you will and as you know. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, I wanted to place I wanted you to, to place yourselves amongst the original readers or listeners of this of this message. Suppose you were a Christian for some time and and, and some time had passed and things for you were getting a bit tough. There's, there was some stress and some persecution going on in, in the church. It was becoming tough. Threats of death were pretty serious and you were fearing for the lives of yourselves and of your family and of your congregation. And you tempted really at this point to just to throw it all, you know, give it all away, give this Jesus business up. But one Sunday you get this new letter, this, this letter to the Hebrews and the elder or the pastor stands up and he begins to read and that's where I want to place you this morning. As the pastor begins to read he says, God has spoken to us through the prophets and the angels, but now he speaks to us through his son. And at that point you put down your stone tablet phone and you start to listen in. As the pastor continues to read the letter, he says the son is the exact expression and the exact representation of God's being. He's the exact radiance of God's glory, who sustains all things by his powerful word. The sermon goes on to give a, a one-sided account of Jesus versus the angels, and you can clearly see that Jesus is superior to angels in most, in, in pretty much every way. The pastor continues reading. He says, "Therefore, I'm giving you a warning. Pay most careful attention to the message of salvation. Pay attention to Jesus, your Savior, as you're at risk of drifting away from this gospel message." At this point, you put down your, your phone and, and you try not to, to, to disrupt anyone beside you. And you're really paying attention now. 
And as the pastor continues reading, he says, if you've been believing what the angels have said about God, well, surely you should be believing what Jesus has said. God's Son has come to us with this beautiful message of salvation, a message of redemption, of rescue, of restoration of mankind. And this message that the Son brought has been confirmed through His actual works, through His signs and miracles. And sitting among you today, there's actually eyewitnesses to these accounts. Yet we still have something way better than all this. We have the Holy Spirit, which now dwells among us. The pastor continues, Yeah, angels have a grand role to play in God's salvation, but it's not them this, this new world is coming for. The kingdom of God, the message of salvation, it's not for the angels. This kingdom that is coming is for Christ and his children. Then you hear one of your favorite psalms being read, Psalms 8. And this psalm is interpreted in a new way which you haven't thought about before. The psalm finds its real fulfillment in, in the life and work of Jesus, in the perfect human. Yet you feel this great tension within yourself. Yeah, Jesus is king. Yeah, he reigns on high. He's superior to angels. But I don't really see that. The church is, is, is stressed. My friends have been killed. I don't see that, Jesus. The pastor continues. He says, yes, Christ is king. He is crowned with glory and honor. This is a reality that is now, but is yet not to be fully seen. The sun rules today. However, for the Christian, the fullness of this is awaited by faith. Yes, Jesus is superior to the angels, made lower for a time through suffering death upon the cross. But remember, Jesus didn't stay dead. He was resurrected and crowned with glory so that by God's gift and by God's grace, he might taste death on behalf of everyone. And you having heard this, you start to be more intrigued and you're feeling just a tinsy bit more encouraged sitting along hearing this letter for the first time. And that's hopefully where I find you today. A little bit encouraged and a little bit more intrigued as we get into this, to this story. The first point I wanted to make this morning, oh, yeah, I think it's going to be easy if Chris has got it, is this, salvation is perfected through suffering. Our salvation was perfected through Jesus' suffering. Christ was perfected through his suffering. Now you might be hearing that and you're thinking that's a bit, a bit of a strange comment. How can Christ, who is perfect, be made perfect? Doesn't really make sense. How could God even lack something? You know, Tim, I think I smell a heresy here. Well, these are good questions you might have, and hopefully I'll get to them in just a moment. But first, let's read uh, verse 10. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their, of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. God, since the dawn of time, has wanted to enjoy relationship and community with his, with his creation, with, with fellow human beings. 
God's original plan was for us to, to share in this, this communion, this community with God, and we can see that uh, in the book of Genesis. Yet because of the fall of man, our original purpose has been corrupted. Sin and death have disrupted this once great plan. Yet God has been at work through his son to restore us to our former glory. God has been busy at work setting us apart again for himself. And during the course of history has been bringing about this, this plan of redemption for all of his fallen image bearers. And as, 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 as verse 9 puts it, now that Christ has suffered and tasted death for everyone, God is once able to, verse 10, bring many sons and daughters to glory. God is bringing us back to this original state which we're all meant for. This is possible, this is possible only because of the work of Jesus. And as, as verse 10 clearly states for, states for us, is Jesus is the, the pioneer, the first true leader of humanity, whom through and by whom everything is made and is sustained. Jesus was the first human to, to taste death on the, the behalf of everyone. Jesus, however, didn't stay dead, but he was crowned with glory. Jesus, having suffered death for everyone, is now able to bring individual sons and daughters back to their former glory. And in, in, in this opening verse, we, we kind of get this picture of this cosmic God who is yet so personal. He creates all things, he sustains all things, but yet he knows each person that's here today. He knows every seven billion individual, uh, seven billion person that's on earth right now. Jesus knows everyone who has ever walked prior to that. Yet, Jesus dying for all calls each individual by their name. Christ dying for all takes the hand of his elected sons and sons and daughters into glory. This plan of salvation, this, this restoration of of God's sons and daughters into glory is, is, is fitting for God. It's simply a part of his plan, but God not only thought it was fitting to bring sons and daughters into glory, he thought it was fitting to do it through the sufferings of Christ. Through Christ's sufferings, our salvation is made perfect. Christ was perfected through his suffering. God had planned for the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith to be made perfect through what he suffered. Jesus' pathway to perfection was through weakness, through, through humiliation, through walking and, and being placed on the cross, all of which God had chosen and commanded Jesus to follow. And in doing so, he, created some, uh, he, he, he accomplished something that no other man could. And what the text is, is hinting at us this morning is that that Jesus, uh, sorry, what the text is hinting at to us this morning is that Jesus is not perfected in the sense that he, he lacked something or that he was, he was sinful, now made sinless. No, that's not what it's hinting. It's telling us that, that Jesus perfected his job. That being obedient to the Father, to the point of death, perfected our salvation. 
The word perfect here is, is used in the sense that Jesus accomplished, Jesus completed, Jesus finished the work that God had given him. Thus we can say Jesus is perfected through suffering. God's plan for, for humans, for their salvation, was perfected through the suffering Saviour. God's salvation was and is perfected through suffering. Why? Why did God do such a thing? To bring, his, uh, to bring sons and daughters back into this former glory. Through the cross, humanity is restored to a one and true proper place in God, uh, with God, in the life that is to come. The writer goes on to tell us that in verse 11, not only was this fitting, but as verse 11 reads, both the one who makes people holy and those who are holy are made of the same family. Sorry, are of the same family. Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I'll declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I'll sing your praises. And again, I'll put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. We can see that the writer of the Hebrews is, is telling the congregation, hey, don't turn away from Jesus. He's leading you to glory. Jesus, the pioneer of, of salvation, won't put you to shame. Jesus invites you and sets you apart to be a part of God's family. Jesus sets us apart for God's family. God's children are made holy. The point we need to see here is this. We are set apart. We are made holy in God's family. The word holy for the original readers would have brought to mind images of, of sacrifice or of um, the royal priesthood, which is going to be the, this, the major theme of the book of Hebrews, which thus I'm not going to really touch on too much today. But to be made holy is to be set apart, to be devoted to, God said with, with, with the Sabbath day, he said, set it apart, make it holy. Literally, set the Sabbath day apart from other days. As I'm sure you guys are aware, you know, Christmas was yesterday. And I don't know about you, but we did our weekly shop for all our groceries. We, we included our, our, our Christmas food and, and our groceries in the same big shop. And when we got home, we separated the, the nice yummy fruit and the nice lollies for the Christmas lunch from all of our weekly other food. Okay, it was a bit disappointing, but that's what we did. We separated all this yummy Christmas food from that of our weekly shop. And so too does Jesus. He separates us for this special occasion. He makes us, he makes us holy. Instead of, animal, uh, instead of animals and grain being set apart for, for God as, as holy, we see here uh, and we read here, the one who brings sons and daughters to glory is making them holy. Jesus is the one God who has set apart as, as holy. He too shares in the same family as those that are being made holy. We'd read later, later in, in, in Hebrews chapter 7, it says, For it was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy and innocent. This Jesus who is holy, makes people holy. They are of the same family. Jesus sets apart us for God's 
family. Thus Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. He's not ashamed to call us his family. The writer takes this truth and, and, and makes it really close for us. And, and we see this, this furthering of Jesus' humanity by the quotation of Psalm 22 and later um, below uh, Isaiah chapter 8. Jesus will say, I will declare your name to my, to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. Jesus will also say, I will put my trust in him. Meaning that Jesus, the pioneer of salvation, first places his own faith and trust in God the Father. Thus, in a, in a remarkable, remarkable way, he places himself on equality with man. And he shares in the same response that they should have to God the Father. Finally, Jesus will stand with God's children saying, Here am I and the children God has given me. God not, only, God not only restores fallen image bearers to their former glory, he makes them holy. Jesus stands with his holy brothers and sisters, not being ashamed of them. Thus too, we can, we can safely say that we are going to be made likewise. We are going to be set apart, made holy for God's family. If the closeness of Jesus and, 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 and humanity wasn't close enough, it's about to become really apparent in verse 14. It says this, since the, children, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. So by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those whom all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, being the exact representation of God's being, the one whom through and, and by whom all things are made and sustained, the one who is superior to angels, took upon himself man's human and fleshly nature. Jesus shares in our humanity. Just as God's children have flesh and blood, so too does Jesus. For God to have saved man, he too had to become just like him. We heard this on Christmas Eve. Jesus conceived uh, by the Holy Spirit in the womb of, 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 virgin, of the Virgin Mary. Thus, in this act, two perfect and whole natures, fully God and fully man, were inseparably joined in the one person of Christ. Jesus is not just a God-inspired man, nor a, a super angel, nor is he just a God with a lowercase g, as the Jehovah's Witnesses claim. Jesus is and remains to be God's Son, as truly and as fully as God the Father is. Jesus, the Lord Jesus, is fully God and fully man. The Lord Jesus shares in our full humanity now you don't need to wrap your head around the, the incarnation uh, to, to know God but you need to know that Jesus Christ is united in the one person who is truly God and truly human and by his death 
as, as the verse goes on, by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. Jesus, being the one who's, who's truly God and, and truly man, accomplishes something that no other man could. Jesus breaks the power of death. Christ, through his death, breaks the power of death. That kind of sounds a bit paradoxical. But the truth remains, Jesus' death conquers death itself. Jesus' death, sorry, Jesus doesn't conquer death by just commanding it to go away or avoiding it. He experiences it like a true human. In doing so, he destroys the one holding the power over death, that is the devil. And Satan here is pictured as this almost cosmic force holding the keys to death. Yet Jesus disarms Satan and his power over sin and death. That's Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Death has been swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Jesus has brought victory over death. Jesus not only having disarmed, death, uh, disarmed and conquered death, but as verse 15 notes, he frees those whom all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Jesus has come to free his children from the fear of death. Death from persecution was, was very much likely for the original uh, readers and listeners of the Hebrews. It, it would have been a fear of them, a fear of theirs, to, to the, the fear of death would have been apparent. And it wouldn't just be, you know, a, a euthanasia or they would have just had, you know, an easy death, it was looking like real suffering for them. And they were scared. And here we see that the community is reminded that for the Christian, one doesn't need to fear death. Christ can free us from the fear of death. Yet, I feel like as a society, as a, as a country, we don't really uh, see this truth. We, we kind of act in, in the opposite as, you're sure, as, as, as I'm sure you're well aware, our country has been taken captive by the fear of death. For two years now, countries have stood still, economies stopped, as people are gripped by the fear of their own death and the death of their loved ones. There's never been a time where, uh, that I've seen, or probably that you've seen, where death, the fear of death has changed society so drastically. The fear of death has made us divisive. Selfish, prideful, arrogant, boastful, gossipers, ignorant, and haters of each other. The fear of death has caused many to be filled with anxiety and fear. But the fear of death extends beyond just intense moments of human crisis. The fear of death is but a chronic issue for mankind. It actually fundamentally shapes the society and the choices that we can make. The inescapability of death has always kindled a flame of fear in the heart of man. But here in the text we find a cure to this fear of death. In Christ we can find liberation to our fear of death. As believers, the fear of death no longer needs to ensnare us or trap us. Christ has defeated death's master. 
through facing death, with death, Jesus is able to bring freedom to God's family. Jesus has freed us from death's intimidating power. Yes, death will come for all of us. Yet if we're expecting it, if, if we're expecting it to, to arrive, if we look into this future hope that this writer of the Hebrews is painting for us, we don't need to fear it. Because for the Christian, we find victory in death. We find glory. We find that we've been set apart and made holy. We find the pioneer of salvation. We find the glorious Son of God who knows us by name, who has restored us to this former glory. We find a God that has shared in our humanity and is now crowned with glory. Christ has the power to set free the bondage that we feel to fear. As followers of Christ, we, we already have surrendered our lives over to Jesus. We know we can't control our destinies. We can't control what happens in the future. And by COVID, we, we know that for sure. We can't control our future at all. But we love to, get, to gain control. We love to, to plan things and to, to make sure our plans get our own way. I plan to have this sermon finished by Sunday. Yet I was reading it five seconds before I stood up here, making sure I knew it. But as Christians, we're, we're called to submit all that we are over to God, including our desires, our, our, our dreams, our wants, and even our fears must be in submission to God. In surrendering our earthly, uh, our earthly hopes, we find our eternal hope. In Galatians chapter 2, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live now in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus also says in John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by, by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus shared in our humanity? Do you believe that he has resurrection? He has the resurrection and the life. Do you believe that Jesus has the power over death and the devil? Do you believe that Jesus has won the victory over sin and death? Do you believe that even though you may die an earthly death, you will see glory? Can you trust Jesus with the fears of your own death? As we read in verse 16, it was not angels that God has come to help. Verse 16 says, For surely it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. God, as we've seen in this, this letter so far, he's not extending a hand of help to the angels. There's no salvation for them. But he's helping Abraham's descendants, which we are a part of by faith. We can share in this, this family that God has created through Abraham. Jesus is concerned with fallen humans. He's concerned with those that can't save themselves. 
For this reason, in verse 17, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. From the very beginning, God has been at work with the Son and through the Son, making a way for humanity to be restored to their former glory. As we have seen, the state of humanity is one of God's greatest concerns. Humans are God's precious image bearers. God knows humans need saving. They need to be made holy. They need connection with the Father. But humans were incapable of helping themselves because of the effects of of sin and death. Humans needed to have someone to defeat death and disarm it. Humans needed treatment from their chronic fear of death. Humans needed restoration, redemption to their former glory. Thus, it simply had to be this way The reason he had to be made like them. For this reason he had to be made like them. Jesus had to be made like us. God confirmed his promise of salvation in the person of Christ. The story of salvation, it simply had to be this way. Jesus had to become fully man. Jesus, although fully man, didn't sin, nor there was was no sin found in him. But Jesus had to share in our humanity and experience the weakness and and the sufferings of death so that through death, the power of death might be defeated. Through death, Christ became victorious over Satan. He freed those who are in fear of death. And God found this work to be fitting in which Jesus was obedient unto death. He was obedient unto death even to the cross. And though not, although not having sinned, he took the sin of humanity upon himself, dying in our place, tasting death for everyone. In doing so, he became a, a merciful and high priest. Jesus replaces the, the, uh, Jesus is the replacement and is the superior high priest. He's able to enter the most holy of holies, and make his children holy. To make God's children holy. Jesus fulfills his priestly duties by making atonement for the sin of the world. Yet Jesus, in his closest with humanity, calls each son and daughter brother and sister. He calls them family. Christ in his humanity, pioneered and perfected salvation through suffering. Yet he was also tempted. He was burdened by the full power of temptation. Yet he didn't give in to temptation or its full power. Thus, as we've seen, Jesus is able to sufficiently help those who are being tempted, those that are in fear of death. Jesus shared fully in our humanity and experienced death for all. So that we can share in this, in this, in this glory, in this, uh, in this holiness that Jesus is bringing. 
We get to share in this victory over death and the devil. The way of salvation for God's children had to be this way. It had to happen in the human person of Jesus, made fully God and fully human, so that by his death and sufferings, God's family had victory over the powers of sin and death, and that they would share in God's coming glory. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning. Lord, we are blown away that you would come in, in the form of a man. Lord, that you would become fully human. Lord, we know that there was no sin found in you, but yet you were just like us. And Lord, we thank you that you've died for us in our place, taking the punishment of sin upon yourself. Lord, we want to reign with you in this coming kingdom that is here, but, yet, uh, but not yet fully seen. Lord, we await um, by faith and by hope in what you've done, in your work. Lord, we fear death. We fear suffering. Lord, but you say that we can be cured of this. We can find liberation in you. Lord, help us to face our own deaths walking beside you. Lord, would you hold our hand through it? Lord, would we believe these bold truths that you've preached to us today, that you've spoken to us through your word? Would we be encouraged? Would we walk away today um, feeling more encouraged and more assured that uh, you've called us into your family, you've set us apart as holy? and that you'll be bringing us into glory in your due time. Amen.